ER Room. Now, here's your host, Edward Reyes. Welcome to the ER Room. Today, we're going to talk about why banks are failing in today's economy. And I have special guests. I have Antonio and Landon here. And they're going to be talking. They are in finance. And they're going to talk a little bit about the uh, the banking, how banking works, and why banks are failing at this moment. So if you want to introduce yourselves. Yeah. So my name is Landon Archangelo. We got Antonio Vaglica here. We are with GFG Solutions. I'll let you chime in as well, Tony. Sure. Yeah. No, we, we, uh, we've we been working alongside Edward for a little bit. Um, Edward's great. It's good to see you <coughs> last week. Uh, but yeah, I know you had asked us to come on and chat a little bit more in depth about what's been going on over the last week. Everyone thinks the world is ending. We're we're gonna be okay. <laughs> yeah, um, there yeah, are definitely yeah, some yeah. really cool, really like crazy things that are going on. Some shifts <clears throat> that are happening. It's a good learning opportunity, and there's a lot of opportunity out there if you're ready to strike and you have liquidity. So. Let's just dive deep into it for sure. Yeah. Let's talk about the actual, the bank itself. Why did this Silicon Valley bank, why do you feel that they failed? In order to answer that, I want to give kind of like a like a brief overlay of the banking industry and then connect it to what happened and why it happened, right? So when we put our money in the bank, we're entitled to get that money back whenever we want it, right? However, the bank knows that everyone who gives the money isn't going to ask for it back at the same time. So as a result, what they do with our money, they spend that money, they invest that money in order to make money for themselves and then give back us back a little bit of interest is the thought, right? Now, these investments that the banks <clears throat> make are typically fairly safe. They're investing in things like government bonds or mortgage-backed securities. And uh, you know these are typically backed by the government. So they have the government backing and you know if anything goes wrong, the government will kind of cover some of it is the thought. Now, government bonds are, are loans and mortgage-backed securities. Sometimes you could see them as like MBS as like a for short, basically ways to invest in pools of mortgages, right? And you've got millions of people who take out mortgages and they pay off their mortgages months to month and so on. It's a way for investment banks and firms to invest in kind of a pool of mortgages. There's monthly recurring revenue, blah, blah, blah. And it's considered safe. Now they can put their money into it when they need to get their money, you know, they can pull it back out. Right. And so yeah. how, how does all this impact Silicon Valley bank? Right. So the Silicon Valley bank is kind of like any bank except their clients or most of their clients, <clears throat> specifically tech companies and startups. Right. So they raise a lot of money. They don't have a use for all this capital they're raising all for once. And so they gave it to Silicon Valley Bank. You know, Silicon Valley Bank was kind of a bank for startups and tech companies very specifically. It kind of grew that brand over time. I think in 2019, between 2019 and 21, these companies raised so much money and these deposits were just coming in in influxes. Silicon Valley Bank over tripled their deposits in that two to three year period. So now all of a sudden, Silicon Valley Bank has tripled their deposits, They but they need to find a way to use this money. There's no point in the just sitting there holding <coughs> it idle, getting you know beat up by inflation, right? So they, they need to invest it, right? In relevant government bonds, mortgage-backed securities, and, and things like that, that are deemed safe. And here's where the problem really starts, right? So just for easy numbers, right? Let's say they, they ended up buying $100 million worth of bonds and mortgage-backed securities. all, And at the time they were doing all this, interest rates were relatively low. Call it one and a half, two, three percent in that yeah. window. However, in most recent times, as I'm sure everybody listening here knows, interest rates are, are on the climb, right? So, you know, the US and the UK, for example, it's slowly been going up. And when interest rates go up, the value of those debt instruments, the, the price, the value of those bonds and those debt instruments, like the mortgage-backed securities, like the treasury bonds actually go down. So the assets that Silicon Valley Bank was buying were declining slowly over time with this rising interest rate environment, right? So imagine you spend 100 million on buying bonds, 
right? At one price and then interest rates start to go up and then the rates and then you know, the value of those assets, you know, drop, right? So you had a hundred million, for example, and then Silicon Valley and bank and what they invested in, it's worth a lot less now. And so they get all these <clears> debt, <throat> which are now losing value. And so what happens next, right? Well, they immediately try to sell their assets. They try to go raise capital uh, in the industry and recoup some of those losses, right? So what happens then is the investors, the depositors are starting to get a whiff of this. And they found out that Silicon Valley bank is making a lot of weird sales and trying to sell things off and why are they doing this? Well, you know, there's an issue, right? So when you hear that kind of stuff, there's an issue with your bank, you're going to probably, you're going to probably yeah. come run to the bank, right? You're going to yeah. pull your stuff out, right? So that's what basically a lot of these tech companies and depositors started doing. They started, they, they ran to Silicon Valley Bank and they started withdrawing their funds. Now, Silicon Valley Bank, let's say it takes hundreds of millions of deposits from people, but it's only got half of that or less than half of that available to give out. So how do they pay everybody back, right? That's really where the problem lies. When this happens, everyone's running the bank, take out their money at the same time. This is what we call a run on the bank. So I'll, I'll pause there. I know I just went on like a rant. So, uh, <laughs> well, no, that, that makes sense. A run to the bank because everybody has to run to the bank to get their money out because they think that their bank's failing. So that makes a lot of sense. Now, I mean, they were like, this is not a small bank failure, right? This is the, the second largest in history, if I'm not mistaken. And so uh, they were the 60th largest bank in America right now. And they had... <laughs> Statistically, 50% of all tech startups, all VEC-backed tech startups were banking with Silicon Valley and then a very large percentage of the actual venture capital firms as well. Now, if you think about it, over the last couple of years during COVID, tech was booming, right? And these VC monies, they were, everyone was raising money. Everyone was just yeah. begging to give these tech companies money and they were doing really well. Well, one, they need a place to park their capital. But now as those investors, the liquidity there declines, the sentiment is a little bit less for tech right now in this current period that we're in, interest rates are up. There are a lot less deposits than there are withdrawals because they need to start taking a lot more withdrawals to pay payroll and keep their operations going. Some of these companies of are really extremely profitable, like a circle that has $3 billion with uh, SVB. They're going to be made whole. I think they already were made whole already, but oh, that's good. the FDIC only insures up to 250000 right? So like, there's a lot more risk that these people are taking on. And I think the big question is who's at fault here, right? And this isn't a case of fraud. This isn't something that's... Um, like an FTX where somebody was actually making fraudulent activity. This was really a case of management and these analysts making some poor decisions in a tough time a couple of years ago when they had all these high deposits. What are we going to do from an investment philosophy? Buying bonds at the time in a historically, historically low interest rate environment to where the only way, the only place interest rates can go is up, which we've seen over the last year. Um, probably not the best idea. And so they they were over leveraged. They didn't take on. Um, they didn't really factor in maturity risk much at all, which is like spreading out their maturities over time within their, their investment portfolio. And over time, people got a whiff of that. There was what, Lan, a $2.4 billion shortfall when they, uh, when they, where they needed to raise some capital. Yeah. They released that information and then everyone started to run for their money. What happens in this scenario, like 250, you know, insurance up to $250,000. And in this scenario, people would be made whole. I mean, imagine they would mm -hmm. cripple the tech company. If, if everybody lost their money at this bank, I mean, it would literally cripple the tech industry because they had so much money in the tech industry. So what would happen if the government didn't step in? I mean, would they just lose their money or well, how would that? It becomes a systematic issue. Like it becomes an issue for the government, obviously, to decide, do we just want to let them fail? You know, and, and have people kind of, you know, out on their money or, or do we bail them out? And people get pissed off typically when the banks get bailed out. If you look back to like 2008, typically with taxpayers money, these banks were getting bailed out, right? They really have, the government has three options. The first is just to let the bank fail, right? The second would be, you know, to let, to bail them out with taxpayer dollars. And the third is to hope that another company or another bank 
or a corporation of some sort comes and actually buys that failing bank. What they do is they get it at a discount, right? So in the UK, I think it's HSBC is the name of the bank. They actually bought they bought Silicon Valley Bank in UK in the UK branch for like a dollar or something crazy, something extremely low. This happened a lot in the 2008 crisis where banks were struggling so they would merge, right? So Merrill Lynch and, and Bank of America, as an example, they were struggling so they were able to actually merge with each other. You know, Lehman Brothers is an example of one that failed. You had Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan who the government bailed them out yeah. at, you know, back then. So you've got various of examples of the government and the world, you know, didn't really want this to happen again. That was what, 15 years ago? And so, yeah, I mean, in its essence, you know, the government did kind of propose and, and is going to have be this this full 100% backstop for depositors for depositors you know they're not they're not bailing out companies either. they're letting banks fail but they're not going to let depositors get get harmed is their thought yeah that's a, that's that a really good distinction because this is not like 2008 yeah. where they're bailing out the bank the management and the shareholders are screwed you lost your yeah. money if you invested in these banks because they're publicly traded companies but the depositors have to make whole because they didn't do anything wrong right these are that profitable sense. companies that need to pay payroll so a lot of these tech VCs um, they actually were giving zero interest loans to actually let these people pay their uh, payroll. They're called bridge loans to just bridge the gap to actually continue their operations because these companies are big and they're, you know, we don't want to ruin all of the money that's going into tech because it's driving our economy over time. Yeah, of course. The, the big thing that we really need to start looking at is over time, the systemic issue of regional banks starting to fail because now a lot of companies, a lot of startups that have a bunch of liquidity that need to park that capital, they're just going to go to a, a JP Morgan or something like that, that they, they know they're not going to lose their money, right? No venture capital firm that's investing in another company, another startup is going to say, hey, you can go put your money in this bank. You need to put your money in a bank that has, you know, two, three trillion dollars worth of assets. There's already been, I think it's 40 billion of new deposits into these large banks. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because if something doesn't happen to really help these regional banks continue to thrive, there's going to be a little bit more of a monopoly within the, the big five banks. I was going to ask because I mean, for regular consumers, those are when we're talking about startups and things like that, these are not the regular small business mom and pop shops. And if they are, they have this great idea. They have a lot of VC capital. They have a lot of angel investing, things like that. But for the regular citizens of the United States, they're not bringing in 100 million, 200 million, billion dollars in funding, for example. They might be bringing in their checks. They mm -hmm. go to work, they get paid 20, 30, 40, $50,000, 60,000 a year, maybe, depending on how much money they're in. Are, are they at risk yeah. when banks have these problems? What I think will help answer that question is to, one, is to say one big thing, right? Th I would not call this a, a bail. What's taken place like a bailout and what's taken place recently. There's a big difference between this current problem we're having and what happened in 2008 and 9. It's not a credit problem like we had back then. This is not a capital problem for the banks. It's an investment problem. Right, it's an investment problem in bond portfolios, in a debt portfolio, essentially a bond portfolio for you know for certain banks. So I think what's going to happen is across the board, doesn't matter how big or how small you are, people are going to be able to be a little bit more aware on how interest rate environment is affecting their overall decision making process in that space. Right, it can be really managed. Right, if if there wasn't so much speed. And how the news progressed and everything that went on, I would argue that had the rules that have just been kind of put in place, have they had been there two weeks ago, I don't know if Silicon <clears throat> Valley would still be at it. I think they may still be in business, right? I think they'd be able to take some of those debt instruments and those treasuries that they had, bundle them up and put them kind of in a separate layaway, keep them to maturity and take advantage of some collateral and leverage to, to, to kind of bridge the gap in the meantime. So myself, I, I'm not concerned. I think we're going to learn from some of the mistakes that these bigger, larger institutions have made and, and just ultimately manage 
manage the risk a little bit better. I think that's how they're going to take it. Yeah. And to, to go back to your point, Edward, in your question, I'll go a little bit more hardcore. Like if you're in the traditional side, average, lower, upper or middle class America making 60, 70, 80,000, like the least thing, the last thing you should be concerned with is the banks. You should be concerned with how can I create more wealth for myself? How can I make more yeah. income first? And then we can figure it out because if you put money in the bank up to $250,000, you're going to be insured True. anyway, right? And then 500 yeah. grand in the market, you're insured there by SPFC. So it's not a, a question there to where like the common American is going to be massively affected. Yes, your taxes will probably go up over time, but how can I make sure that I'm mitigating that risk? And usually it comes down to starting a small business, making sure that I'm valuable in the marketplace and that I'm not being phased out to inflation. Right. So small business owners, though, that are in that, you know, one, five, 10 million range that are bringing home multiple hundred thousands a year take home and things like that. Yeah, we do have to be definitely a little bit concerned about making sure that we're diversifying across banks. Right. Over 250 grand, probably start another account to make sure that we're diversifying there. And then also using different tools. Right. Insurance back contracts has a lot more guarantees. It's a lot more safe. Mutual insurance companies haven't been out of business in a very long time. They, they don't really go under because they're very safe. Utilizing the market, utilizing real estate, things that are very safe um, that are going to produce to uh, continue to produce building wealth and build income. That's where I would put my head at, in my opinion. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, good point on if you have enough money, you know, maybe separate your funds in different areas that can hold the capital. Like you said, real estate is always a great investment. It's um, definitely a challenge when when you have three billion in cash, though. You know, it's, it's, I, I don't claim yeah, to be a macroeconomics yeah. expert, so I'll let the experts deal with that. What to do with that money? Yeah, three billion is is a is a number that many people don't have those problems and and those opportunities. <laughs> you know, it's a different type of problem. I see what you're saying. So, what are investor strategies? And I know you guys do a lot of the finance side, and you know, we're helping a lot of people now in the business side as far as protecting their assets and moving things around and, and making sure that they have corporate setups and trusts and shielding from litigation and people making lawsuits against it. But what things are you currently doing right now with your businesses for like, you know, a small business owner, some of the cap of like, you know, million to $3 million per year to make sure that their interest is protected and that they're not going to run into these type of problems with the banks or with, with their money? Yeah, great, great question. So, I mean, our clients have never been more well-equipped for a time like this. We preach because our, our clients are all business owners. And so we, we really preach the importance of building up liquidity. And when you build up liquidity and you're diversified within and amongst different asset classes so that your money is safe, right? You're not going to lose it to a bank failure. You are able to buy assets at discount. When everyone's fearful, they're starting to sell, right? The market took a massive dip last week. It's, it's, it's rebounding right now, which we knew it would. But you have the opportunity to start putting that liquidity into different assets, right? So we always like to start with what you're doing, Edward. I really love where uh, what you're doing on the asset protection side is because if you're not protected, and you are commingling funds or you're piercing your corporate veil or you're just you, you don't have the right structure in place one lawsuit could take your entire operation down so that's the the, the main focus for sure that's for as sure you would know. yeah two how are you mitigating your tax risk right <clears throat> are you paying more in taxes than you should be that's something that you should really start to strategize with your cpa to start driving a lot more dry gunpowder back to your bottom line that ultimately produces liquidity where we start to park that liquidity um, for future opportunity is the question, right? You know, like I just talked about insurance back contracts where they're yielding, you know, six to six and a half percent in a guaranteed sense where you can start taking loans from that and throwing it into things at discount. It's a great idea. I'll let Landon talk a little bit more about things in the market and how to create your own ecosystem there. Uh, but that's where I would be focused. Yeah. And we have to be careful Like, you know, we're not giving specific advice or anything like that. We're not giving anybody specific advice to go take and run and implement, right? We have to, you have to, if everyone's different, unique situations, person 
person to person. But the biggest thing I think is the proactiveness of the tax planning that you can be implementing with your CPAs, right? Like a lot of folks in the tax world specifically that are in the CPA world, they're trained and their industry is built to say, hey, here's what you made, here's what you spent, here's what you owe. And they're going to punch the numbers in. They're going to make sure that we're following the tax code, but they're not doing a lot of proactive, like looking through the windshield type of planning. So for all the small business owners out there, being able to kind of look at some strategies, some proactive strategies, like salaring your children, you know, renting your personal home out to your business for 14 days to each business that you have, just two basic examples that can ultimately just drive more tax-free, tax-exempt dollars back to your personal side and, you know, save dollars on the tax coin on the business side. So just some proactive things like that, that in a lot of cases when we chat with folks, they're just not being as proactive. They're being very reactive to their tax situation. And the more proactive you yeah. can be, the more capital you can drive to the bottom line of your business, you know? Yeah, that, that makes sense. Well, I think that these are all good things. I'll have to probably change the title of this because it's why <laughs> banks are failing. How can you be protected and how can you uh, capitalize on what's happening in the market? So I think I did change the title to this uh, chat, you know, that way people can watch them like, oh, okay, this is good information. One, one word of advice that I'll leave your listeners is just like, do not subscribe to the fear mongering, right? Like there's going to be a lot of people in the media trying to capitalize on this stuff and they want you to sell off your assets. They want you to panic. We thrive in panic, right? That's what we do for our clients is we're making sure that we're building up liquidity in the right places. And when panic strikes, we get greedy, right? So just, just don't subscribe to the fear mongering, get with your advisor, get with your team, make sure that you have the right philosophy moving forward and things have not changed. Okay, perfect. If anybody has any questions uh, on this subject, how can they reach out to you? We can be found on GFG Solutions. So you can go on gfgsolutions.com. G is in golf, F is in Frank, G is in golf, solutions.com. Uh, that's our website. So business consulting, working with business owners for them uh, alongside <coughs> of their team, connecting all their professionals. You know, you can reach Antonio. I'll let, you, I'll let you throw your Instagram handle in there. I know you're pretty active on there. Yeah, Lennon's definitely not, not active <laughs> on Instagram, but uh, it's A-Vaglica, A-V-A-G-L-I-C-A. Very active on Instagram, TikTok. Um, yeah. I see you active as well, Edward. So, yeah. We also yeah. have a podcast. We also have a podcast that we've been doing for four years, and that's more of a passion project and a really cool community we've built. It's called the Consistency Wins Podcast. So the space and then Consistency Wins is one word podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify, you name it, all of the above. We interview different business owners at different stages of, of life, right? So everywhere from startup to growth <clears throat> to kind of at the top of the mountain, anywhere in between. Antonio and I both played sports in college and then pivoted out of that and lost a little identity. So we decided to build a community, what we call business athletes. And we just interview a ton of really nice. cool people with different backgrounds. And Edward, I'm sure community will get to meet you very soon as well. So uh, check us out on there. Yeah. And as everybody out there, my name is Edward Reyes with the Reyes Firm. You can find me at Edward uh, J. Reyes. And uh, thank you for watching the ER Room. You've been listening to the ER Room. To contact the firm, call 833-4-BAD-DAY. Find them on Instagram and Facebook at The Reyes Firm. Reach out to Edward on Instagram and Facebook at Edward Reyes and on YouTube at Attorney Edward Reyes. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll see you next time on The ER Room.